listeners, and welcome to episode 10 of Cars Unfiltered. Today, we have myself, Tom, and we have Mike. That's me. How's it going, guys? And Adam. Howdy, guys. So, it's kind of a big deal today. I don't know if you looked outside lately, but it's uh, it's not officially winter, but it feels like it. It's Yeah, it's cold and there's snow in Michigan. And I may or may not have hooned my truck around a little bit yesterday. I actually <laughs> used the four-wheel drive. You know, we were talking about trucks the other day, Tom, because uh, listeners, for those of you who are interested in what goes on in our lives, uh, my current vehicle is a 98 F-150, and it's shot. So I've been looking for a new truck, and since I'm weird and like old things, I'm looking at a 1970s Ford. Uh, F-150, F-250, F-350, whatever is decent and usable. And uh, Tom and I have been going back and forth sharing Craigslist ads because that's something we've done for years and years. Almost a decade now. It's been a long time. Yeah, I I realize that. It's been a long time. And uh, (laughs) so in the process of sharing Craigslist ads, uh, my criteria are, one, that the truck's not terribly rusty. Uh, two, that it has a V8, three, that it's manual, and four, that it's four-wheel drive. And uh, believe it or not, that's a, that's a difficult combination to find for trucks that are, at this point, 40 years old. So uh, Tom and I have uh, debated many times because we both used to have two-wheel drive pickup trucks. And never again. And we we both said never again. And yet every time I start looking for a new truck, I consider two wheel drive pickup trucks. And what I always have to remind Mike is that of all the so we in school we both had two wheel drive trucks, right? We got <laughs> we both got stuck multiple times. We had we and okay this this is we, this can't go very far, listeners. Okay, but we may have had to have a Land Cruiser pull us out once, a Toyota Land Cruiser. Maybe that may have happened. Um, yeah. So Luke, if you're listening, you know, ever, uh, thank you. So, <clears throat> so yeah, well, I have to keep reminding Mike that, you know, we're not, we shouldn't buy two wheel drive trucks again. And also the reason I think that, you know, I get, you know, I entertain the idea of an old two wheel drive truck because for some reason, you know, like a classic truck, I picture driving in the summertime. And so it seems like it would work, but then also I think the reason that we entertain those things is more of supply. Yeah, and, and that's just it, right? Because I can find a two-wheel drive truck that is in very good condition, uh, manual, et cetera, et cetera, that ticks all the boxes except for four-wheel drive fairly easily. Um, but then Tom will uh, bring me back to reality and said, yeah, but you're you're always going to regret not having four-wheel drive. And my reply is generally, yes, I understand your viewpoint. Um, but I don't actually use four wheel drive to which Tom replies, have you ever had a four wheel drive truck in the winter? And my reply is no. And yesterday I actually used the four wheel drive on my truck, uh, in my neighborhood just because I was sliding all over the place because we didn't have enough snow for anyone to really plow. Um, and so it's gotten packed down and, and I've been sliding right while I was driving and, uh, so yeah, now now I'm looking for a four-wheel drive truck. So 
Yeah, so here's here's where four-wheel drive is huge for trucks because you have to remember there's no weight over the rear axles unless you're hauling something, right? So when you pull up to a stop sign, you know, you stop pretty much like everything else. But when you go to take off again, you basically just sit there and spin. And you fishtail around corners very easily. I I take that as a as a bonus. Well, plus, yeah, plus, yeah. But, that's but yeah, a that's the thing too. Yep. A four-wheel drive won't necessarily fix that. But no, um, but it, but it gives you some added traction where there's weight over the axle. Right, true. It pulls you forward, yeah. So so yeah, I just I I don't know. Two-wheel drive trucks, like I had a 99 F150 XL long bed regular cab 5-speed with the the 4.2 V6 in it. And I at one point in a flat parking lot in order to get out of my parking space I had to essentially put the truck in first gear to let the clutch out, get the wheels spinning, and I had to open the door, step out of the truck, and push it to get it out of the parking <laughs> that doesn't, that's, that doesn't surprise me. Right. So, I mean, that's where I kind of, uh, me and the two-wheel drive trucks uh, parted ways after that. Yeah, because with I'd like to drive, say it would have been just a flip of a switch and you would have been out of there. Yep. So yesterday, uh, as you guys might know and have, may have forgotten, I have a two-wheel drive truck. <laughs> oh, I, I yeah, so so it should be two-wheel. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Last night, Kara and I went and drove through a, a Christmas light display out here, and uh, I may or may not have almost gotten stuck in a flat parking lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the thing? It's like the most, like, I have, like, oh, I have a truck. And, like, yeah. I'm like, oh, big truck, box. brush guard, bolt, you know, light bar. Somebody push me. <laughs> <laughs> Flat parking lots are my worst nightmare. Oh, man. It's true, too. It, yep. It can be so, so bad if they're icy. Like, you just don't go anywhere. You just spin and spin and spin. Yeah. Also, yeah, we made it less than one minute before Mike started talking about that truck. <laughs> it's kind of yeah sorry it's been on my mind that's a nice truck yeah oh oh yeah so so i may go to texas to go buy a truck that i found that ticks all the boxes uh because they're that hard to find so yeah so that could be we could podcast anchor live from that trip or something keep a keep a lookout for updates because that may be a reality it might happen yeah um, which actually, I didn't uh, I didn't put this in our show notes before, but I thought I wanted to, I should pitch this to you guys real quick. Um, I have actually seen a, co- a few interesting like $500 vehicles around. And what do you guys think about, like, what if we get a couple $500 vehicles and just kind of like, almost like Top Gear style, do like a little challenge thing? But, I mean, it, it depends on what we're trying to do. Uh, yeah. But well, I, I could be persuaded to buy a $500 vehicle uh, as long as it's not my primary method of transportation. Right. And like maybe like our goal is to get like to Mackinac Bridge. That's an impressive goal with a $500 car. In the wintertime. That's that's a pretty, that's fairly extreme. I I know. Like it doesn't sound extreme, but like you think about it, it actually, it, it could be life ending if we're doing this in the winter i'm spending three hundred dollars in the car and two hundred dollars on blankets (laughs) (laughs) yep yep just for the record tires aren't included in the 500 dollars price because you need you need tires let's be honest i'm I'm all for 500 dollars uh 
beaters, uh, mm-hmm. but there is okay. there's a certain extent of safety that has to be covered here. What if it's a Craigslist challenge? So you're only allowed to buy things off of Craigslist tires or whatever. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm down with that. Yeah. All right. So we could do an annual Craigslist challenge. That could be fun. That could be fun. Or deadly. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't be the dumbest thing we've ever done. <laughs> or about to do. About <laughs> to. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's one thing. So maybe keep an eye out for that. We'll have to talk about that more. Um. Speaking, so top beer challenges. Uh, yes. What about the new season of the Grand Tour? crickets yeah geez. Was, was it that, was it that interesting come on hey i'm trying here i'm trying i'm not i'm off my game on the segues right now it's sunday morning all right no, so, I, I so, liked it yeah yeah, yeah I, I liked it quite a bit too the um i was surprised that they put that rimac crash in there to be honest with you for for the first episode i was surprised it was in there you know that what you know what surprise. i was surprised that there wasn't more footage of it yeah. i i that was you know, to be honest, I was kind of disappointed. I wanted to see what actually happened, not just the cutoff. Well, you know what well, part, of, part like, of that too is because it was the and, and they mentioned this as uh, the show was closing, mm-hmm. right? Is right. It was the end. It was the end of the race, or the end of the hill climb. So they, they weren't planning on filming anymore, right? It was past the finish line. So right. I imagine, uh, as far as Amazon's concerned, there just wasn't a lot of uh, footage that they could use. Somebody got footage of that, though. I mean, somebody there was rolling tape well, that's past what they, it. That's what they said. They got, you know, YouTube. So here's, I'm going to, not to like start conspiracy theories and rumors, but let's start a conspiracy theory and rumor. Um, so <laughs> if you look at the video. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I'm, a, I'm fact, a fan of rumors. Let's let's get one started. Yeah. So, so here's the thing. Hold on. There's like something making room noises outside my house. Um, Wait, vroom noises or room noises? Vroom, the vroom, vroom. There was like, vroom. I don't know, somebody playing in the road or what. Anyway, so if you look at the tape, so point is, this I didn't realize this until I saw it and they mentioned it on the Grand Tour, but he is past the finish line, right? Right. And so what I almost wonder is, you know, Hammond did that run like 10 times or 12 times or whatever that day, right? Like a number of times. I don't remember. I don't know the exact. Yeah, let's not state numbers because none of us actually knows. But yeah, a number of times right. we can confirm. Right. And if you, so Rimac is a new company. You don't, like, obviously, like, bad press would be really bad for them. How, like, how, what if it's something weird happened with that car and, like, the throttle stuck or brakes didn't work or something? You know what I mean? I mean, that's enti- like, that's entirely possible. Because, like, it just doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? It's, like, one of those things, yeah. like... He would be slowing yeah. down at that point. Right? Right. Like he, I mean, you'd be dumb. Yeah, like, he went, through, he, he went through the finish line. It almost looks like, you know, he didn't lose any speed going after he went through the finish line. It almost looks like he sped up. It's, so like, well, it's possible, right? So you got to think, too. It's an all-electric car. And I... You've got to excuse me. I haven't done any research on the Rimac. So I don't know if it's four-wheel motors or if there's a central motor that's yeah. then... Um, it is four wheel, four individual motors. Okay, so then there's going to be regenerative braking on each one of those motors, right? Yep, there is. So it's possible that uh, one of those motors I got stuck, right? Which could have caused a little bit of yaw there, which is why he could have lost it, right? Um, 
because of- well he also mentioned that he's like he's like in the in the previous you know when they were driving to the place he's like i don't even have to hit the brakes it just slows down automatically so if he blew through the finish line and like that letting off the brakes the regenerative braking quit working and it just kept going and then by the time he realized it was like oh too late yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Right. and it could it could have been something entirely like that yeah because so, like so sorry to cut you off but i was just looking at um some footage on youtube of it and yeah i mean it looks like he i mean maybe it, it almost looks like he whipped it into that corner too hard because the car just went sideways yeah because it just came up like you know it was like by the time he figured out and i thought that was actually still part of the race so i thought like he just missed like thought it was a different corner uh-huh. than what it actually was or something but like if that was actually like the finish line like odds are pretty low that you're gonna you know especially somebody like him who knows how to like pay attention to courses and stuff and like tries to learn them beforehand. Cause he's, you know, trying to put down good times. I, I don't think, I don't know. Like I don't want to start a rumor or anything. I'm a huge fan of Rimac and what they're doing and stuff, but it does seem bizarre to me. Like the whole situation yeah. well, it seems weird. Well, and that's something you got to think of too, right? Not that something, but something that you have to think of too is um, for what it's worth these three presenters, right? I mean, they're automotive journalists. They've driven cars for a long time and they've all yeah. gone through various driving schools. Like they're very good drivers uh, yeah. compared to the general public, right? So it's not like he doesn't know how to handle himself in a car. Right. I mean, he's not a professional race driver, right? But if it's between, if the if the scale is average driver and then professional race car driver, these guys are way closer to professional race car driver than they are to average driver, right? Um, yep, like they play it down, right? But that's... Yeah, it, yeah. yeah, so you've got to think about that too, right? It's not like he doesn't know how to recover from uh, some slippage or loss of traction or something like that, right? So... And it looks like too, like the video, it looks like he's tries to save it by doing like a Scandi flick into the corner or something, right? Like to scrub the speed off. Yeah, right. And it was just too much, like, which that's kind of makes me wonder. I mean, you might be able to look at it closer and determine like if the wheels were still spinning, like the car was still accelerating, that to me would be like, oh, well, something's stuck. You know? Well, and there's no overrun, right? Because it's a hill climb. So the road is the end of the, it's at, it's a drop off. So even scrubbing speed, he only has the width of the road to scrub the speed, which is what, uh, where they were 15 feet. Right. Like, yeah. it's, it's not a wide road. Yeah. But I mean, just to see like how it turns to go off almost to me shows like a lot of experience in trying to, you know, either, you know, scrub the speed off before you go careening over there. So, you know what I mean? Or whatever, like, well, Hammond in, in particular has had some experience with very fast crashes, right? So I'm I'm f- probably fairly <laughs> uh, fairly confident that he did not want to crash again. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know nothing against like anybody. Um, I'm not trying to like imply a cover up or anything, right? But like, it just seems weird to me, situationally, you know, that just the way that everything happened. And the way it looks when in the you know in the footage just looks weird to me. Yeah, for sure. Something else to, to continue with the the grand tour, anyways. Something else that surprised me fairly, uh, not fairly significant. I, I kind of expected it, but it still surprised me just what the uh, what the margin of victory was when they did that that drag race. Right, the Rimac was miles and away. 
Yeah. I had, oh, I had of the Lambo and the, what was the other one? The Ferrari? What was May driving? No, it was a Lex. It was an NSX. Oh, yeah, that's right. But here's the thing. Yeah, that's right. But here's the thing. Like, it totally makes sense, right? Because the Lambo is like 700 and something horsepower. The NSX is like 600 and some horsepower. And the Rimac was 1200. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And that's why I'm not surprised that it won. Uh, also because it's an electric drivetrain, right? So the torque is available as soon as you want it. Um, yeah. But it, Which it is an NSX too, but you're talking about half the horsepower. Right, right. But it, it still surprised me the margin of victory, right? Like that was fairly significant yeah. for A, a new company, um, and then B, just, you know, an electric car in general versus those two. Oh, Rimax. So I should like look into a more, but Rimax technology is to be honest with you, like, you know, they said like, oh, the Rimax, Rimac is partnering with all these other companies and stuff. Come back to your mic, Tom. Oh, sorry. I just uh, forgot to plug in my headphones. So I figured I'd do that real quick. So Rimac partners with all these other companies. Like they have, you know, this really great technology um, that they've developed. Like they mentioned in the show, like they make everything like down to the dials in the cars. And I mean, which as a fabricator, do not discount that. That is a lot no, yeah. of investment to make small parts like that. I mean, look at the debacle with the Model 3 and just having seats. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right? right. Like, let alone like everything else. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I like I, I really like Rimac as a company. And like I've mentioned this before, I think. But like I would love to see like a Rimac, like a Mustang Rimac edition or a Mustang Koenigsegg edition or something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. That would be, I don't know why, but just that would be so cool. I agree. I think that'd be awesome. But yeah, the, I don't know. Like, I'm not super surprised that the Rimac, you know, beat everything that was, you know, that they put up there. I mean, a Lamborghini SV instead of an S might have been a little bit closer, you know, obviously. So SV is a little bit faster. But an NSX is i mean and also too like i was about to say oh these cars aren't that you know those cars the, the lamborghini aventador s and the nsx aren't that fast cars but i mean they're faster than anything we've driven oh yeah for, but, for sure yeah yeah you know like but it, it's bizarre because just like the price of bitcoin right like like the you know that price has skyrocketed but like the horsepower in cars has skyrocketed in the last 10 years oh, for, like for sure it's insane the new mustang right yeah, right so like 2010 okay the mustang gt was 310 horsepower okay yep, with, a, with a v8 with a v8 seven years later okay the four-cylinder mustang is more has like five more horsepower than the gt okay yep. Not even seven years, because that was came out a couple years ago. And now the 2018 Mustang GT has 460 horsepower. Right. And then you get the GT350 with 500 and, what, 36 horsepower? 29, I think. Yeah. And then... You, oh, yeah. yeah. 29. That's right. Uh, and then you have, like, the 2014 GT500, right, at 663 or 662 or whatever. Right. But, like... And compare that to what most people think of as the heyday of horsepower, Right. Where if yeah. you were to look at like a 1969 a Boss 429, which is uh, one of the highest output uh, horsepower variants of the Mustang from back in the day, you were still only yeah. looking at like 385 or four, 
four and a quarter or something like that, right? Uh, and, yeah, and now a base GT beats that. Yeah, right. And sure, the, the engine was properly detuned to the tune of if you took it apart and you put in a new cam and a new uh, and a new carburetor, you could unlock probably 150 horsepower back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. But that's still only what 500, 560 horse, right? Out of a freaking seven liter engine, and now we're now right. we're doing close to the same thing out of a five liter. Mm-hmm. Which I realize for, for uh, listeners in Europe, that's not a big deal because yeah, small small engines have produced high horsepower for a long time <laughs> out there. But in the states, that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> well, yeah, but here, so you know the old like the old set, you know, a seven liter four twenty nine or whatever. Like, what's the red line on that? Oh, like six grand, yeah, sixty five hundred. I mean, you could push them right if yeah. they were built right, but yeah, right. like sixty five hundred. They quit making power after that for the most part. Right, but like the new torque curves on like these five O's and you know the the voodoo and everything like like the dyno that this would actually be a really cool article like if we compared dyno graphs from these old like you know Cobra Jet Super Cobra Jet engines to you know like the the new voodoo and the new like even even the the two point three liter the EcoBoost like that could be an interesting kind of comparison because yeah where it makes power is huge. Like, like my, so my three, seven, you know, that actually has a surprisingly high amount of low end torque. Like, to be honest, like I'm impressed with that after like 5,000 RPM, uh, the Mustang, that's right. That's right. Sorry. Yep. So I have a 2012, um, Mustang V6 performance pack, um, six speed. So what? 305. Yep. 285 foot pounds of torque. So like. Which That's is more, which is more than my old Dodge pickup, by the way, which had 240 horsepower and it was a 5.7 liter. No, 5.5. That's nine only five, nine. Dude, that is only 15 horsepower less than my Raptor. Your Raptor only has so, 255? 320. No, 320. But my, my oh, Mustang yeah. is only 15 horsepower yeah, yeah, less. Right, right. And it's a, it's a three, seven versus the five, four. Yep. So. Um, but yeah, where my Mustang, like really, and I was kind of looking at like mods and stuff to see if I couldn't give it, you know, kind of resolve this a little bit, but it, you know, the, the, uh, dyno graph like just drops off after like 5,000 RPM. It definitely like wakes up at around four, but like that range is only like the hot range in that car is only like a thousand RPM wide. Well, yeah, but that's generally how power bands work, right? I mean, they're not the widest, uh, RPM range in general, usually, which is why you've got the close ratio transmissions versus wide ratio, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. Or electric motors to fill it yeah, in that too. But, but yeah, like my, but my car revs to like seven grand, but it just doesn't pull all the way. Whereas like a Mercedes or something or a BMW straight six, like you get in one of those and like they pull the whole time. Dude, A, a straight six is actually an underappreciated, uh, buildable motor, right? Um, yeah. think about the old 200s and 170s that came in Falcons and Mustangs back in the early 60s, right? And those things, one, uh, a straight six is a very balanced engine, right? The the uh, mm-hmm. the power pulses and smooth. everything, are, yeah, they're very smooth. Um, and they're they're just kind of they're stout in general, right? Because of the the way they're built, and uh, there's there's less webbing than there is in a V8 and everything, and they're just in general a, a very buildable engine that people discount, I think. Um, in their search for power, right? I think anybody, so mine's, you know, the Mustang is a V6. Um, and anybody 
that's looking to buy a car should definitely go like something like that should go drive a like a BMW like 335 or 330 or something and just feel like a manual or something right and like just feel the difference because it is it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible but yeah and then also too I noticed that the new Mustang uh the 2018 Mustang has um a full digital dash actually which is kind yeah, of Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I like the old gauges. Uh we were just talking to, I do like my throwback we, gauges. We were yeah. just talking about this before the show and I actually I had a 69 Torino that I just sold. Um uh, and my biggest pet peeve when I was driving that car was uh it only had a fuel gauge and the speedometer and odometer as proper gauges, right? There's no temp gauge, there's no oil pressure gauge. Uh, there's no amp charge discharge. It was just fuel and speed, right? And everything else was just lights. And it and it was a GT too, though actually, yeah, well, which makes that's interesting. Well, to part me. of it, the the theory at least back then was you want a cleaner dash, right? You don't need all those gauges. You don't need to worry about it, et cetera, et cetera. But it mm-hmm. really bugs me because I know how old engines work and I want to see the data, right? Like I want to see the gauge in front of me to know if my oil pressure came up or how hot I'm running, et cetera, et cetera. Because what happens if that light bulb just goes out, right? And it's, in mm-hmm. old cars, that's that's entirely plausible, right? You could have a fault in the wiring or whatever, and the light bulb just isn't going to go on and you're going to blow up your engine because it got too hot and you never knew it. Mm-hmm. Which is actually a bigger deal now than it was back then, be, then because the cars are so much like back then. It's like, oh, it's like a two thousand dollar car, oh. yeah, but and it'd be like three hundred dollars to replace the engine, and now it's like. Not but the case. these days, right? You have built-in technology uh, to put it in limp mode, right? In if something goes wrong, so the the computer system will pick up that you're overheating, and it's going to put you in limp mode so that you can get off the highway or whatever, and not actually damage your engine. Whereas the old ones, there's no fail safe, right? You're just going to keep running until the thing seizes up on you and you're stuck. Yeah. So, so oh. real quick, I want to touch on the digital side of that dash because, you know, I'm, I'm a techie guy. Um, what's really interesting to me. So before, you know, the only vehicles that have really had full digital dash has been what? The S-Class, right? I mean, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the one that comes to mind so, for me. So, with yeah. this being in the Mustang, which is a... Oh, and the old Corvettes. And the old Cadillacs. Like, full full digital, though? True. Okay. Man. Yeah. yeah. yeah full, full readouts. Okay. So... Sorry, that's this is, like, from the 80s we're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is, too, right? I mean, it's not, uh, it's not new by any means. It looks like your old alarm clock right. that sits on your grandma's uh, nightstand, yeah. you know? Okay. Yeah, so not like so what so full about. digital <laughs> as in you know you know LCD panel whatever right you know what's really interesting yeah. to me is I wonder how long it will take now that this is going to be in a more it's coming to a more mainstream car like the Mustang how long is it going to be before we start seeing the ability to flash those with your own custom gauges oh not long right not long at like, all like especially a, since now that it's an enthusiast car yeah I mean you know I as you guys know. I'm a big, like, I like custom cars. I'm a fan of customized cars. So, um, you know, used to be you'd have to buy, you know, take your whole dash apart. The thing never goes back together. You always end up with half a dozen extra screws and it squeaks, you know, and you'd have to replace the gauge Mm -hmm. clusters or, you know, put an overlay on it. 
Now, I think that's going to be really cool, and you're going to see, see people start developing new, entirely new gauge layouts, colors, you know, adding or subtracting, you know, gauges from it. You know, I, I, Could be yeah. so for sure, because it's just an interface. It's just a display. So you're not even messing with the back end data that would have right. to feed it. I mean, you could you'd easily I think you could see uh, the Huracan has a full digital dash. You could see the Huracan have a Huracan dash, you know, gauge cluster in your Mustang. Right. Because somebody. Yeah, right. I, yeah. And I imagine you probably at some point somebody's going to figure that out It's beyond my knowledge, obviously. But somebody's got to be able to figure it out. I think that's well, exciting. Well, you know what? You know, it's one you couldn't do. So it's a seven. It's a one piece, seventeen inch um, LCD panel in the Mustang, but you couldn't put the Eurus dashboard in there because it is three separate LCD screens. Nice segue. <laughs> yeah, you, like that? that was good. Smooth. That was good. Like yeah, you, you could put. <laughs> so tell us about the Eurus, Tom. Tell us about the Eurus. So actually, I was going to circle back before to the Grand Tour before going directly to the Eurus because. Um, I just wanted to say, you know, I think Adam would, you know, be feels the same way, but you know, RIP to that Aventador S on the Grand Tour yeah, because no that's probably now the cheapest available one. Is it the cheapest available one because of the crap they put it through, or is it the most expensive one because it was on the show? Oh, <laughs> okay, I'm a huge fan of those guys, but I'm not paying a premium for that car. <laughs> Ain't no way, like. You know what surprised me about that car, honestly, is just how wide it was on some of those streets they were trying to take it through. I, I oh, forget yeah. how wide supercars uh, are sometimes, right? I mean, I drive old Mustangs and stuff like that, and they're inherently narrow. And it just mm -hmm. amazes me how wide some of these things are. You know what amazed me about that was how that car held up sitting, you know, teetering on the front air dam with the wheels off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> that that thing did not even flex. That carbon fiber and the front bumper on that thing did not yeah, even like flex. Yeah, like that would rip the bumper cover that. off of any production car right now. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Tom, tell us about the tell us about the Euros. All right. So uh